Just a little story. I found it in a book a couple weeks ago. A fellow by the name of Max Stiles was the writer, and it's a totally different topic than what we're talking about, but it, it struck me as a kind of an interesting little story. Industrial theft in the Soviet Union during the 1960s became something of a national scandal. Nikita Khrushchev, the head of the country at that time, responded in 1961 by establishing a security detail to police the pilfering, to try to get it under control. An electronics plant in Kiev presented a particular problem. Items produced there were easily smuggled in a pocket or fold of clothing and commanded high prices on the black market. Popov, the security guard assigned to the plant, was a cheerful and winsome man, unlike many of his grim comrades in the security detail. Popov rapidly, what's going on? <laughs> Popov rapidly uh, befriended the workers, and after a few weeks at the Kiev plant, could greet most workers by name. And at the end of one workday, Yuri, a laborer, exited the plant pushing a load of sawdust in a wheelbarrow. Popov stopped him. Yuri, what are you taking in the wheelbarrow? Well, I'm just taking the sawdust to the trash. Please, he said, waving at the load, you may check. Popov sifted carefully through the sawdust and he found nothing. The same thing happened the following week and then again and again. Always there were no electronic parts, only sawdust. Finally, Popov took another tack. After stopping Yuri with his now familiar load, he said, Yuri, are we friends? Oh yes, Popov, we are friends. Then Yuri, I ask you as a friend, not as a security man, what are you stealing? Yuri hung his head. He glanced from shoe to shoe. Popov, he said, since you ask as a friend, I will tell you as a friend. I'm stealing wheelbarrows. <laughs> that has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about, but I, I like this story. No, it sort of does. It sort of does. You know what we're going to talk about this morning and the next couple of weeks? We're going to talk about something that once upon a time, I think, would have gotten me in some level of trouble for talking about it on a Sunday morning. Um, I think uh, some years ago, and actually not necessarily all that many years ago, because two days ago I was sitting with a group of church uh, representatives and pastors in a, in a workshop, and we actually named the thing that we're going to be talking about, so I'll just toss out there, sex and sexuality. And one of the pastors, not far from where we are this morning, had sought to, to do a series of messages, maybe even just one message on sex and sexuality, and somebody approached him following the service, a mom just very, very steamed and angry because she thought that was something that should never be talked about in church, should never be talked about on Sunday morning. Well, you know what? I've talked about sex a good number of times as a pastor through the years. I've preached on it every single church I've ever been a part of. And I don't know if people have ever been ticked off or not, but nobody's been steamed at the end of a message and nobody's told me you shouldn't talk about that. But do you know what? It's 2018. And so the reality is, it's a whole lot easier to steam people off today than it used to be. Because there's a good possibility that we don't all think about things exactly the same. One thing I'll tell you for sure, the people outside of this room right now, all around us, the 330 million in this this country do not all think about matters of sex and sexuality the same. And some people nowadays get very angry depending on what's said. So I got a request for you this morning and the next couple of weeks. I'd like to encourage you not to get angry. All right? 
Can I ask that of you? And if you want to talk to me later, I promise not to get angry if you say something different than I say. I want to encourage you to listen and to think. That's a really important thing because nowadays in America, most people fight. We fight about everything. We don't listen very carefully. So let's learn to respect each other. The things I'm going to say today are truthfully probably somewhat different than you usually hear. And um, I'm not always sure that things I'm going to talk about today and in the coming weeks are, are actually things that Christians have really talked about or really thought about all that much. Because when it comes to sex and sexuality, we tend to think about, we, we're looking for one thing or we're getting very particular and we're missing a bigger picture. Now, I don't know if the wheelbarrow was exactly so much bigger than the sawdust, but there was a security man looking for one thing and missing something else. And here's what I, I, I want you to think about with me this morning. We have a tendency to pay special attention. You know this cliche about missing the forest for the trees. Sometimes we focus on trees. Sometimes we only talk about trees. And we miss the bigger picture. And if we don't see a bigger picture, we will never understand what the trees are and what they're all about. Trees are important. Sometimes you have to talk about very particular, specific things. But what I want to see, you to see this morning is that there's a big picture when it comes to sex and sexuality. And you know where you can find it? You can find it in the Bible. And it matters that we see it and that we understand it. We as Christians sometimes get stuck on the minutia, and guess what? Sometimes you have to deal with the minutia. The devil's in the details, it said, but the details do matter. They do count. You've got to pay attention to them sometimes. But you can't just go to the details. You've got to understand the big picture, and we're not very good at talking about the big picture. You know, we've been better especially Christians who continue to believe in the Bible and think that this is God's authority in our lives, we've been good, somewhat, actually not really all that good, but somewhat good at talking about a couple of details. In fact, Mark Rignerus is a sociologist who primarily studies matters of sexuality, and he did a study some years ago on the sexual lives of American teenagers. This is what he found. The study was published about a decade ago. And guess what? The world has changed a lot in a decade. But it's not entirely changed. I think what he studied is still pretty relevant. He found that Christian teens do not have a deep understanding of the connection between faith in Christ and following Christ and sexuality. Not much of an understanding at all. Not, certainly not a deep understanding of what it means to have faith in Christ and to follow Christ and all the sexual stuff in their lives. Ragnaris writes, the majority of religious interviewees with whom we spoke could articulate nothing more about what their faith has to say about sex than a simple no sex before marriage rule. For most of them, that's the sum total of Christian teaching on sex. You know what? I think that's right. I have a feeling that what he studied and what he found out among teachers is actually what most teenagers hear if they hear anything in a church at all. A church that is, um, for want of a better word, um, oh gosh, finding the right word is a, is a really tough one. Conservative, liberal, uh, biblical, whatever, okay? I got a phrase the other day at a session I was at with some leaders from our church and from other churches in West Michigan. 
And it was this, the historic Christian teaching on sex. And you know what? Most of us don't really have a good grip on the historic Christian teaching about sex. And it's way more than about whether or not someone can have sex before they're married. It's much bigger than that because that's the only thing you have. That sounds like just a a tiny rule. And eventually a lot of people start thinking, rule doesn't make any sense to me and it seems stupid and I don't really have any motivation to follow it. So I'm going to ignore it. But the little rule is not the big picture. I want us to think about the big picture. Okay? Our label is going to be mere sexuality. C.S. Lewis, 70 years ago or whatever, uh, uh, did a bunch of radio broadcasts for BBC Radio during World War II. Kind of fireside chats about spirituality. And they were very popular. And they were all grouped together. And C.S. Lewis, I think, was the one who actually gave it the title, Mere Christianity. It's a book that's still read and still published and still printed and still purchased today. And we're taking that kind of title because when he talked about mere Christianity, he was talking about the, the, the commonalities that have always been there for almost 2,000 years at that time. What does a, a Catholic and an Orthodox Christian and a Protestant Christian, if they really believe their faith, what do they all have in common? That's mere Christianity. That's what C.S. Lewis wanted to focus on. And that's what we're going to seek to do. And it doesn't mean everybody's going to agree with me. But my goal is to actually lay before you the common teaching of Scripture that almost every Christian has understood for the last 2,000 years. The last 40 years, guess what? There's a lot of stuff up for grabs. But I'm not camped out in the last 40 years. I live in the last 40 years. But I want to listen to a different voice so we can make sure we understand what is mere sexuality from a Christian perspective. Hey, you know what happened to me the other day? I was over in western New York at Camp Mission Meadows, the Portage Lake uh, companion camp on the other side of our conference. A bunch of us were meeting, representing churches. And I got up Friday morning. I do what I always do. You've got to know something about me. I've never liked electric razors. I don't, I, I don't use them. I don't know why. I've tried it a few times. I don't like the feel. I like a blade. I like a razor. And, um, and, and it usually works really, really well. Um, let's see. Here it is. I use um, Gillette Sensor 3 disposable blades. All right? Buy a bunch of them. They, they seem to do fine. They last fine. And these, this little thing is a great, simple technology. You just use it, and it does the job. Now, I know I should be growing a beard, but I've grown the beards in my life. I'm not sure I'm doing that anymore, okay? Because, yeah, it would not... Yeah, no, it's not worth it. So I'm going to keep shaving, but the other morning, right before I was heading out to go to the meeting, I just took this wonderful gift. This is a great technology. It's so useful if you want to have a smooth face for at least about half an hour before it starts growing back, okay? It's a great thing, and it just works every day so well. But do you know what I did? I just casually made a casual move. It was close to my face, and I just made a casual move going to where I wanted to start moving down. And in that process, I just caught a little bit. Can you actually, from that distance, see there's something on my cheek? It looks a lot better today than it did two days ago. I can think of no other word to tell you that, to use than to tell you that I sliced my face. It wasn't real long, but do you know what? If you have like a, a centimeter slice on your face, do you know what it does? It doesn't hurt. You don't even feel anything. It's like a moment. 
oh no. I didn't feel anything, but I know I just did something. It's almost like you look at your face, there's the shaving cream on there, nothing's happening. It's like thinking about it, but you know if you just watch about 13 seconds, all of a sudden, and there it just, you know, I wasn't that far from Niagara Falls. It's almost what I was thinking about. What I want you to remember about this wonderful little implement is it is such a great gift, but used casually in the wrong way, it can do something really harmful. Or minimally harmful. Stupid illustration, but guess what? It happened in my life, so it's what I was thinking about this morning. Sexuality is a gift, and sex are a creation and a gift from God. They are first mentioned in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And you know what God overwhelmingly said about what he'd done in chapters 1 and 2? He said it was good. So I want you to understand at the very beginning that sex is a wonderful gift, and it comes from God. It's not a human creation. It is not an accident of biological evolution, whatever you think about the process or what God might have used, I want you to understand that sex was a part and is a part of the intentionality of God in making us and designing us just the way he did. Sex is a profound gift. None of us would be here without it. Isn't that awesome? God could have figured out some other way. Don't like um, those single cell creatures, they just divide. They just grow and divide. Wouldn't there have been a very boring way to, to propagate the human race? Any of you want to get bigger and bigger and then just divide and have a second of you? <laughs> you know? So God created that as one means of a certain form of life um, continuing on, but that's not what he chose for us. And I think it really would have been a boring way, and it just doesn't appeal to me at all, I don't know about you, but God chose sex and sexuality as his way of letting us be and grow and fulfill and to live out, to fill a planet and to, to create everything there is. It's astounding. It's good. But do you know what else? Sex is also profoundly dangerous. Profoundly dangerous. It has never been talked about and never been celebrated as much in our society as it has over the last half a century plus. I have a feeling once upon a time, if you talked about sex, do you know what? Everybody leaned in a little closer. And do you know what's still true? At some level, still do. Because somehow, in spite of hearing about it so much, we don't get bored with it. We're still instinctively interested. Whether we're married or not, whether we're 13 years old or we're 83, somehow we're implicated in it. We're involved. So we lean in. It matters to us. But in these last years, sex has been celebrated and talked about and made a central reality in life at the same time as it has been treated as if it doesn't matter at all. It doesn't really matter if you do certain things because it's not that significant. We're told that on one hand, and the other hand, it is the most important thing in the world. And if you don't have an active sexual life, you are an empty person. Those are two very different statements, and we hear them all the time. Our culture has been profoundly shaped by something called the sexual revolution. Have you ever heard that phrase? I don't know that we really refer to it very much anymore, but 40 and 50 years ago, that was the phrase that was used that was uh, uh, to describe what was going on as things were changing. 
there was a very important, simple technology that came about, um, something called the pill, a form of contraception. And that little bit of technology changed everything. There's a good chance most of us have a relatively positive attitude about contraception because it can be very helpful. But I want you to know that it has also been something that's been profoundly destructive. And there's a reason. It's not because it's bad in and of itself, but because of what it does. Because of before the pill and other easy forms of contraception. Do you know what people understood? That sex was something that belonged in a very special, unique relationship. That sex belonged between a man and a woman who had committed their lives to each other. And they had something going together that was more than a moment and more than a passion, but it was a lifelong project. And they understood that one of the ways they loved to express their care and their interest and their passion for each other was by sleeping together. And they also understood that it was very possible that they were going to have children that came out of that. But once it was possible to have sex without the likelihood of children, Do you know what happened very, very rapidly in our minds? Sex and marriage became two different things. Two different things. They don't have to go together anymore. At all. So while contraception may be a great gift for you as a married couple, if you already have your two or your three or your four or your five kids, whatever that magic number is, It has also been something that has shaped, it unleashed the sexual revolution to talk about sex and to think about it in a different way. What are some of the things that have unfolded in our culture in the last couple of decades? There's been a change in the way men and women relate to sex. There's been a change of double standards. Women are free to act the way men used to. Feminism has had its impact, good and bad, and all these things. An explosion. Or, uh, one of the parts has been a divorce revolution. When I was a kid, I knew nobody in my elementary school class. Nobody had parents who were divorced. But today, that's a very common thing. It's touched our lives. It's been part of some of our own experience. Very up close and personal. Pornography. A reality profound reality in our world like never before. And it touches, here's the truth, we just know it statistically. The reality is we're a couple hundred people, a huge percentage of people in this room, we have every reason to think, struggle with pornography. I'm not pointing at you because I'm not pointing at anybody. I'm just saying this is a struggle for all of us. It's a part of the sexual revolution. Disease, sexually transmitted disease, The AIDS crisis of decades ago, but lots of other things. Sexual revolution. Single moms, especially with children. Sometimes through death, but often through divorce, but sometimes through none of those things. There are now breakdowns of groups in our culture where the majority of kids by far in certain segments of our society are born out of marriages. And today, among the white population, we're mostly a white group, 
the, the percentage of babies born in America to white moms who are not married is higher than it, today than it was in any subgroup 40 years ago. Just change after change after change. And then the biggest ones of all the last couple of years are, three years ago, the Supreme Court decided to redefine marriage. And to define marriage, at least for the time being, in these terms, two people who care about each other and love each other and have warm feelings about each other, making some kind of connection that's official and legal. Wow. Okay? It used to be a man and a woman, but now it's two people. If you want to stay ahead of things, though, there's every reason to think that the cutting edge is moving beyond two. Never assume that where we are as a culture, it's so fluid. Never assume we've arrived. Things are changing, and there's no reason to think they won't continue to change. And then the struggle with identity. Who are we? The transgender phenomenon in the last couple of years. Wow. Everything's changed. Now, i got to stop all this stuff. I want you to listen to God's word for a few minutes this morning. And I want to go back to the very beginning for, the mo- for a moment, okay? Genesis chapter 1 and 2. I'm going to ask that these words be put up on the screen, all right? And then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then Genesis chapter 2. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. We should stop with those two passages for a moment. Most of you are somewhat familiar. Those are just a few sentences or words from the longer two stories we find of creation. It's kind of two stories. Genesis chapter 1 tells the story of creation from one angle, and Genesis chapter 2 tells it from another one. Genesis chapter 1, it's the big picture. Heaven and earth and everything, all the big stuff, all divided up into seven days of of action. Genesis chapter 2 focuses on one little place, a garden, and God's creation of that garden. And then his creation of a man. And then out of that man, his creation of a woman. But out of those two stories, just a couple of verses and just a couple of observations with you. And when I start making some observations, I want you never to use God's word as a weapon to attack somebody else. Do you understand that? I want to talk about very important truth, but I want you to know that the truth God gives us is a gift and you and I should always receive it humbly. Arrogant Christians and angry Christians are a poor reflection on Jesus Christ. We are not on this planet to harm other people. We are here to love other people and to seek to understand God's will for our lives. And you know what? There are people in our world, in our families, in our church, you maybe know somebody, and you can say this right now, who's struggling with certain realities, certain feelings, certain just trying to get a sense of who they are. And I want you to remind you, a person I'm just getting to know has written a book called 
people to be loved. I want you to grab a hold of that phrase. And whenever we think about anybody, including people who are what we're ultimately going to label sexual sinners, and if I can let you in on a little secret, that's all of us at some level, okay? All the people we might think about immediately when we hear something out of God's word are people to be loved. We have an old phrase, if not for the grace of God, there go I. I have my own struggles, so do you. Sometimes I'm grateful I don't have other people's struggles. Be generous, be loving, but that doesn't mean you don't listen to the truth that God gives. Genesis chapter 1, God created man in his own image, male and female, he created him. I don't know the latest, but if I go on Facebook today, I can pick quite a few different gender choices. I think our society currently is going a little crazy. But that's not because there are not real human beings who don't comfortably, easily understand themselves as either male or female. Be generous in your spirit, but listen to what God says at the very beginning. God did not create 52 genders. God did not create confusion. God created us in this marvelous, amazing way, male and female. That's wonderful. Some of us have a real sense of who we are and our identity. Some others, and even more right now because it's the cultural moment, are living in profound confusion. But I want you to understand the creation plan of God, male and female. There's something about God didn't create human beings as human beings. He created human beings as male and as female. Sex wouldn't work if it wasn't for that. The next generation wouldn't exist if it wasn't for that. All of creation sees things as kind of pairs, heaven and earth, dark and light. Male and female. All these things that, that ultimately God wants to join together. At the very end of time, uh, Revelation 21 and 22, heaven and earth will come together. And that is prefigured and pictured by what God did when he created human beings in a particular way. And he made us male and female and he brought us together. It's almost like there's something missing in us if we're not connected with another. And by the way, don't assume that means everybody in the world is supposed to be married. We'll get to that next week. Okay, You might jump to that conclusion. But here's what I'm absolutely sure of. A male life, married or not, would be incomplete without female presence in that life. This would be a weird place if we were a church of all men or all women. Wouldn't that be eerie? There may be a place for same-sex schools, okay? But there's no place for same-sex churches. God wants a diversity, and the primary diversity built into creation was male and female, and it was so important. Without both of those, there's, there's an incomplete humanity, and without both of those, the image of God isn't really seen. The second thing I want you to notice from these stories is this, Genesis chapter 2. God looked at the man when he was on his own, busy in a beautiful place, and it doesn't say the man was you know, depressed, it doesn't say the man was confused, it doesn't say the man came to God and said, God, something's wrong. It's just that God looked at him 
wonderfully made in a beautiful place and said, it is not good for the man to be alone. So I want you to, want you to see, isn't just the, the, the binary, the difference, but that women are necessary. Women are essential to God's plan. It's important for us to understand. Women are as important as men in God's work, in God's work on this earth, in God's work in the human community. And out of all the, all the ways that men and women can connect, God created a special relationship. And we understand very little about it today, it seems like. Because we have separated what God has brought together, we have separated Sex and marriage, among other things. And God has put those pieces together. Can you put Genesis 2.24 back up there for a moment? Right there. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. We're going to dig into this more next week, but I just want to leave you with this one simple thing. I want you to understand that sex finds its home and its place in this picture. That a man and a woman, hey, it makes so much sense to so many people in our world today, probably to a bunch of you, okay? Maybe it made sense at a different time to you. If you're young today, this might really make sense. That before you would ever get married, you would for sure want to have sex with the person you're thinking about getting married to. So you make sure, I think I've heard this kind of phrase, you make sure it works. And if it doesn't work, whatever that means, whatever that would be the discovery, then you've got to find someone else and you've got to keep checking out because you would never buy a car if you didn't take it for a test drive, right? Do you know that line? It's true. Would any of you, have any of you ever bought a car without driving it? See, so it's so rational or logical to us, but we don't understand the purpose that God has created this picture where a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and then they become one flesh, which means a lot more than sex, but it includes that. It means that as well. Sex goes with this profound connection, this covenant relationship, this promise. And you know what we've done in our world? We've put sex before the relationship, and we've treated it. Sam Albury has this great image. We've treated it like a post-it note. And you know the problem with a post-it note is? Post-it notes work great if you write a little message and you post it on a piece of paper, on a door, on the refrigerator, wherever you do, okay? But you know when post-it notes cease to do very well? When you post it there and you grab it off of there and you post it to something else and you take it off of there and you post it again and you take it off of there and you keep using that same posted note in different places, guess what? It doesn't stick so well anymore. And we have used sex as a post-it note with multiple partners. And what was created by God to seal a relationship and to seal a connection between two people who've made a promise of their lives, guess what? In all likelihood... Huge likelihood, it works. Okay? Sex is not a test drive situation. It's not a car. Marriage isn't a car. Sex is a seal on relationship already made. It's not a post-it note. All right. Guess what? Got to do? None of you are angry right now. I didn't have a chance. Come back next week. Okay? Okay? 
<laughs> Please come back. I will work at it. I will promise you I will try to make you just a little more uncomfortable next week, okay? But we're going to, next week, we're going to move from this passage into the New Testament to Jesus. And we're going to talk about sexuality and Jesus. Don't you wonder about that? Both what he said and who he is. And we're going to think about some things we've never thought about before as Christian people. Band, will you step up? Pray with you right now. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. And we have just scratched the surface of something we barely talk about, but the truth is, it is so central to our lives. And isn't that crazy, Lord? That this is something so huge in the lives of our kids and our young adults and our adults of all ages. And it even fascinates at different levels some of our children who are being exposed to things at very young ages thanks to those screens. It's, it's everywhere, Lord. And it is not something for us to avoid talking about. Thank you that your word is pretty clear in a world that's so fluid and confused. Help your people trust you, believe your word, love what you say, follow Jesus, but always help us not to use this as a weapon against others. Help us to see the people around us as people to be loved.